0: Welcome everyone to the rest podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Williams, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. Hi,
1: Natalie. Thank Hi, you. Virginia.
0: You're welcome. So today has been a very full day because yes. we just wrapped up recording with Mitch Marchesky, the brother of Jane, aka Nightbird from AGT, talking about the Nightbird Foundation and the first recipient of a grant from them. So it's pretty exciting. Absolutely.
1: Mitchell, we're so thankful you're here.
2: Yeah, I'm happy to be here.
1: And I can't wait to talk to you about our theme this month, which is what it is to be a man. I watched you serve so many roles as a brother, as a son, as a husband, as a father in the midst of unbelievable pain and what seemed to be great loss. But in the midst of that great loss, which is, of course, the pilgrimage through cancer with Jane, there was so much beauty in the ashes. And I want to talk to you about all of it somehow. But the focus today is really what it is to be a man and serve at that capacity in those roles.
2: Gosh, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Really really enjoy what what rest does what rest stands for and really just you know my uh, my friendship with you obviously has been so transformative over the last year that i've known you and even in jane's journey one of the things that before i get into your question about you know like manhood and masculinity and all of those things i just want to say the concepts and the principles of rest have been really transformative in the way that i've parented the way that i've been a husband the way that i've interacted with you know, everyone else in my life, like the principles laid out in how we love even the book, how we love our kids, those sorts of ideas really connected the dots for me of a lot of things that I knew sort of intellectually over the years, but never quite had the rubber meeting the road in a way that was meaningful. So I I really appreciate you and your impact and the impact of, of what rest stands for, you know, in my life and even in the life of Jane.
1: Thank you. It's been a joy to serve you. You know, patience said something that i finally began to register the patients at the clinic and clients outside of the clinic in my private practice they said you work with a person virginia but you heal a family and all of our families need a measure of healing and clarity because every family right has a form of confusion and chaos but by the time things escalate to disease it gets a lot more complicated right But I think Jane was so transparent and she showed up to play. And among one of the very first people she mentioned, if not the very first person she mentioned was you, as she began to experience freedom and the state of the disease began to lose its grip on her, the pilgrimage and displacing cancer, something beautiful began to happen and I met you. And I had an opportunity to work with your beautiful mom and your amazing father and your sweet brother. And so because of her, we are able to carry on much of her deepest convictions, which was freedom and healing and having a voice of freedom and hope and all of that. But explain what it is to be a man and carry the weight of what a man has to carry for his personal family, for his family of origin. And for all the complexity of the relationships involved in those two families, because you left your family, leave and cleave, right? And, And you have this nuclear family now that you're a growing family, but in the midst of it, in your original family, you have your sister and she's basically fighting for her life. I can't imagine all the feelings and sensitivities that you had to come face to face with
2: yeah absolutely now I mean that that's a really complex question and it's difficult really to even to, to even pinpoint a, a really specific answer but I think what one of the things that that is just a core belief of mine it's a foundation by which I really make all of my decisions in and through and it's a, a lens that I look at thing, at the world through is really the lens of humility and what I mean by that is you know from my perspective in my faith, I believe. The, the creator God of the universe decided to come down to humble himself, to take the form of a servant so that he could die so that his enemies could live. N- not just that his, his family could live, not just that his friends could live, but he came down from heaven to earth to die so that other people could live. And I think when we look at things through that lens, it really changes the way, especially as men, we, we interact with the world because if if the God of the universe, the one who created the stars, the one who spoke words and the universe just came into existence like that, if he can humble himself and take the form of a servant and put himself aside and put his ego aside and put everything that honestly he rightly deserved aside, if he can do that to love those who don't love him, how much more should I as a man do the same for those who do love me, to do the same for those who are around me, to do the same for those who, I, who come you know, come down my path. That's such an
1: important point because I think what we often miss when we talk about faith is that covenant relationship. What you just described was a covenant that the person of the historic Christ made with his father and the church. And the church is his bride and he's the bridegroom. It's such a parallel, right? Marriage resembles that institution. And he laid down his life for his church. The role of a man is to really lay down his life. And it is heroic. I I, I think when we did a segment in one of the segments we recorded, you said, you're making me sound like a hero, or I don't see what I did as heroic. I see it as my responsibility. But it's because when you have the outlook you just described, what makes it heroic is the commitment to the covenant, And the responsibility that you embrace as the head of your home to lay down your life and sacrificially be the husband, the band like in a wagon wheel that holds the whole things together the whole thing together. And the spokes, the children, right? And the woman being the heart of that the center, the hub of that wheel. But the husband is the one that takes the blows, that takes the shock, that holds everything together. And when there's an infringement in that it's so important that the whole system is analyzed and works together, right? To stay together. But what you said is so compelling because there's so much confusion and chaos and dis-ease about role and gender identity. And I think the fruit of that is in the confusion, chaos that's been emerging for the last 70 years or so and what it is to be a man, what it is to be a woman. But I don't have one single cancer patient or one single person patient that I consult with on the recommendation of doctors that did not have an enormous amount of confusion, chaos, and disease in their family of origin. And it's because the father didn't know or understand or hold his role. Perhaps he didn't have role models, nor did the woman. So if we're going to heal the hemorrhaging heart of a generation, and certainly if we're going to heal our member family members or come alongside of them as they attempt to heal from these serious diseases it's going to come by a deep and profound understanding of what our roles are. And you're right. It was a complex question. But the complexity of the question is parallel or equal to the complexity of the roles that I watched you play as you helped your sister attempt to heal from cancer. Mm
2: -hmm, For sure. And I think the idea that humility is just rolling over or not being firm or not being not leading or not having a backbone, backbone. like that's not true. You know, humility does not necessarily mean that you just let people walk all over you, but humility, you know, is really knowing what the right thing is to do and doing it, but doing it in such a way that it benefits and adds value to and builds up the people around you. You know, there are oftentimes within the male, um, you know, within the male psyche, you know, you can go one of two ways. You can be really overbearing, and you can be like, I'm the man and I'm going to do all the things, you know, I'm going ha- to enforce my will upon the world because that's my role, mm. you know. Or you have the other side of the, of the coin where you have, have men who are overly sensitive. They take things personally. They get really hurt by it and they get really frustrated. Then they, they try to talk about it with their wife or with somebody that they're close with. And one of two things will happen. That person will respond defensively. So if I go to Brooke and I said my wife and I say hey, you know the way that you said something really hurt my feelings or the the way that you did this you know really hurt my feelings, if she responds back to me with well yeah it's because you did this and just because you did this and you're always doing this and I just can't believe that you guess what I'm going to do I'm not going to engage in that conversation again like that yeah. vulnerability that I brought to the table is is now you know diminished because I'm starting to run up into oh a brick wall when I start talking about how I'm feeling. You're just going to use it as an opportunity to make me feel worse. Like that doesn't sound very helpful. Or in the case of, of my wife, Brooke, who's just a pro at doing this, she allows for the space to be safe enough to say, well, what, what is it that I did that made you feel that way? Or how how are there, you know, how, why do you think that you felt that way because of this situation and allowing the conversation to become about how we're feeling and not about like the actual thing. So whether it's dishes, or whether it's laundry, or whether it's I didn't do this, or I didn't do that, or I did this, or I did that, oftentimes the way things are communicated are way more important than what's even said to begin with.
1: So good, because feelings are a function of the mind, the heart, the will, the conscience, right, the soul of a man. It's a function of the soul. Emotions, right, are a function of the limbic system. We talk about this all the time. And often men respond with anger. It is the most accessible emotion, but that emotion doesn't necessarily indicate that they have hurt feelings, right? Mm -hmm. So behind the emotion of anger, there's the feelings of confusion, chaos, dis-ease, and sometimes just disrespect or pain. And those things take time, right, to figure
2: out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, and you know, I see this time and time again, like with situations with men where they're super sensitive and then they take things personally around them because they have this kind of a self-focused view of like, I'm sensitive. Obviously the things around me are, are used, you know, to make me feel bad. Then they get hurt. And then usually anger doesn't come right away. Usually they're hurt and then they bury it and they're hurt and then they bury it and they're hurt and then they bury it. it. And then they're You know, two-year-old spills a glass of milk and shatters it all over the floor. And then they're angry. And then guess what happens? Everyone in the room is like, why is dad mad? There's a bunch of conflict that started to occur. The wife says, why are you literally yelling at me over a glass of spilled milk? The kids are like, wow, dad just screamed at me because I spilled this milk. Totally on accident. You know.
1: So vulnerability becomes important. But the point you just made about your sweet wife, Brooke, that I've had the pleasure of getting to know she gave you a safe space without humiliating you for that vulnerability mm-hmm. or minimizing or undermining your vulnerability. Yeah. So I want to talk about that a little bit. Cause you talked about being humble and laying your life down. Right. And I do want you to speak on that a little bit because we talked about that the other night, but it takes a measure of humility and a measure of trust and vulnerability to say to another person, whether it's your mom or your dad, or your spouse, as a man, right? Or your boss, to say the way you handled that felt disrespectful. And I found it hurtful. That takes vulnerability. So it's hard to be humble without a measure of vulnerability. Talk about that for a minute.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the vulnerability piece is, is key because it does a couple things. One, it builds trust in the relationship of saying, like I feel safe enough with you to share how I'm right. feeling. You're giving someone a measure of trust when you do that. And even if it's not even just the thing itself is, is irrelevant, sometimes it's the way things are communicated. And Brooke and I have this conversation often where the way that things are said sometimes mean more than the things that are said. Yep. So oftentimes I find myself apologizing and coming back and saying, hey, Brooke, I'm really sorry for the way that I handled that. Like I shouldn't have yelled. I shouldn't have gotten frustrated in that way. Will you please forgive me for that? For doing that? And I do the same thing with my kids. Like if I yell at my kids unnecessarily, I often will go back and say, Hey, Mitchell, hey, Jude, hey, Magnolia, I need you to forgive me for yelling like that. Because even though I was frustrated and angry, I should never operate that way and communicate that way. Like, will you please forgive me?
1: Yeah, I am so thankful you brought that up. An apology generally is for me. I feel really bad. And I need to tell you that I feel bad. I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm Mm -hmm. sorry. But the second part of an apology is, would you forgive me? And that is, you mean so much to me that I noticed I hurt you as well. Mm -hmm. Would you forgive me? And it gives them an opportunity to be heard as well. And I just think those two parts, a distinction is really important and necessary. And that doesn't make a man weak. It makes him strong.
2: No, a man's strength is found in, the, in his ability to be vulnerable and to be humble. Like that's where it is because people follow people who are humble. Mm-hmm. Like men think that people want to follow a strong leader that's going to say it how it is and all that sort of stuff. Like the best leaders that I've ever you know, had the pleasure of sitting underneath of and learning from. They're like, they're constantly giving credit away. They're constantly apologizing. They need to, they're constantly sharing things that they're going through in ways that are helpful and meaningful. And they're constantly adding value to those around them. And those are not the, you know, the quintessential, you know, like Chuck Norris types of guys, not that they're, you know, effeminate and completely like losing their role altogether, you know, but they do spend that time cultivating trust through humility and and vulnerability.
1: Note to self. We identify with each other's weaknesses more than with each other's strengths.
0: It's relatable. That's right. right.
1: And it's also an invitation into rest, having honest, authentic conversations about relational, emotional, and spiritual truth. Yeah. And it is healing and transformative. If we can, no, we're not trying, we're doing it. We're We're starting to begin (laughs) to change the conversation on how we go about dealing with with the broken heart and the shattered soul of an entire generation. And it is this concept of humility and vulnerability and really Mm self-disclosure. And it's transformative. And it is healing because we'll identify with those broken pieces of ourselves. And I've watched you do that. But I've watched Jane lead the way in that. We recorded segment four, five, and six. I think right. Uh, five through eight. Five was it? Five through eight. Mm-hmm. On how we love, which is interesting because you talk. I want to have you talk about that a little bit. But it was your sister that recorded those segments with us, and she was so transparent, and she did it in an in, an integritous way, and with vulnerability mm-hmm. and honesty and self disclosure. And I'll say this about Jane. I say it all the time. She was the single most private public person I've ever met. Yeah. Everyone felt like they knew her through her music, right? And you're her brother. You can speak to this. And everybody thought that Jane just embraced the world. And it was true to some extent. But there were some very deep, quiet, complex layers in her soul. And she was very careful about who and what and when and why she disclosed those inner layers of her soul. Mm -hmm. And I obviously was one of them. I had to work with her at that capacity. And you were the other person that comes to mind that she felt she was in a total and complete state of rest with. Andrew, your sweet brother, served her like an angel. He was amazing. Mm -hmm. There was something about the conversations that you and I were able to have with her and the places that she went to, that I think explains the mystery of the hope that she was able to extend to the world. Mm-hmm. Talk about that for a moment, and how it impacted you, and understanding how you love.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I, I think the if if I had to put it together, you know, in a, a semi succinct way, because it's again, these the questions are so complex because people are so complex and. The relationships are so complex, but and I'm taking liberties with you yeah.
1: because you're you go there with me often, mm-hmm. so I'm sorry. I no, realize that it is
2: no, no. I'm no, asking no. a lot of you. No, it's okay. I think that I'll probably just circle it back to vulnerability and trust because Jane had a degree of trust with you and with me, with others, that she felt that she could share how she was truly feeling about a particular topic or about how she was feeling about the way her that her life was was playing out or whatever. She and was comfortable going to dark places. She was really comfortable. And the reason why was because we were not quick to tell her when she was wrong. Mm-hmm. We were quick to listen to how she was feeling and processing and asking earnest questions to get to really what the root causes. Oftentimes when somebody shares something that is dark or whatever, Complex you and say, dark, yeah. stop doing that or get away from that. Or here's what you need to do. Or why are you thinking that way? Or that's, or that's wrong. Not what or that's not what happens. You know, <clears throat> like from a perspective fear, like that's not really what you're lying. You know, like instead of those responses and Brooke does this so well, the, instead of the responses being about the thing, like the focus becomes on the person. And I, I've heard it said once, like people are not a problem to be solved, but a person to be loved, you know, like, so when you're talking to a someone soul to be unwrapped, a soul to be unwrapped for sure. So, what was helpful i think with you know our relationship with jane and, and with with many with with you know that those other people that were really tight you know with her was she knew that she could say how she was feeling without us nitpicking her words to tell her why she was wrong the, and to zoom that out away from jane and into just like the everyday life you know well it's you,
1: it's embarking on a mystery too don't you think yeah
2: i think i definitely think it is because you don't because you don't really know and sometimes the person does Jane didn't know sometimes why she was feeling the way that she was mm-hmm. feeling or why she was acting the way that she was acting. And I don't oftentimes know it either. But the way that we get there is we walk down that path, that journey of mystery, you know, together. And we do it in a way that's safe, not in a way that's like, gotcha, like you're you're wrong and I'm right.
1: Do men long for that like women do?
2: Oh, I think so. I think they long. I think more. I think so, too. I think they want to be loved. I think they want to be I think they want to be encouraged. I think they want to know that they have value. I think they want to know that they're successful. And the methods and means by which they reach those, like those feelings or maybe even those outcomes are different, I think, than women. But I think that the, the end goal is the same. Like men, Intimacy, wa- huh? men want to have an intimate, safe space where they can feel like they're, they're okay. And I think there are a lot of men that don't feel like they're okay. But you
1: had the courage to enter into calm. Complex internal struggles that you had between the stories you tell yourself from the experiences you've had. We talk about that as being the conversation of the soul and the implications they had in your very anatomy and how you carried it. You, again, going back to vulnerability, you showed up with honesty and integrity to discuss those things about yourself. And I don't want that message to be missed in this conversation. Mm-hmm. And a woman does either give that life or shut it down. Mm-hmm. But both the man and the woman have to learn. He needs to learn how that his sensitivities aren't necessarily rational, and that her emotions aren't necessarily an attack on him always. Totally, and it's they're so her I- own issues; is she doesn't know how to manage
2: for sure. And it's so ironic because men tend to make fun of women for being too emotional and not rational enough when really men tend to be so sensitive that it's irrational and it actually causes disease and discomfort in themselves of like, I'm feeling this way, but I can't rationalize it. So what are the, what do they end up doing? They end up blaming somebody else for the feelings that they're having. Okay. At the end that of the day. is
1: so big. What he just said, mm-hmm. repeat, say it one more time. Men accuse women of being emotional basically because they're so sensitive, but they don't, or address with their sensitivities, but say it like you say it, recap it. Here it is from the mouth of a man.
2: Yeah. I, I think it's, it's really ironic that men tend to accuse women of being too irrational when and emotional er, and emotional. And you're saying, you're not thinking this through, you're not thinking this. If you would just think about it you would be able to resolve it when ironically, you know, men tend to be so sensitive in a ways that they don't understand themselves that they they don't know what to do. They're con- they're conflicted. So what so what happens? They blame. Oh, somebody else is doing this to me. Oh, if you would just do this in my marriage, then I would be better. If you would just be more sexually available, I wouldn't have to do these these things. Or if you would just take care of you know, it becomes this other centered problem. And guess what? Humility does. Humility takes ownership over their over your feelings. It takes ownership over your actions, and it takes ownership over the path forward. It doesn't blame. It doesn't shift. It doesn't cast aspersions upon others it comes back to the person of saying as a man i may be feeling a particular way it is my responsibility as a man to walk down a path of vulnerability to be able to rectify that at the end that
1: is amazing there's your sound bite natalie yes for a man to be what his very constitution was designed to be He must be willing to lay down his life for those he loves. And that means having the confidence and the faith to be vulnerable. Yeah. Strength and courage, I might add. Strength, courage, confidence, and faith to be vulnerable. Men, if you do that, you will establish a covenant in your home, and your wife will submit. Come under one mission with you and you will have the sex life, the partnership, the friendship, because you will bring healing to your family. The wedding is about the groom. The groom goes after the bride. She just gets to consent or not. She has so much power. But if she he's willing to lay down his life for her, it's amazing what will happen.
2: Yeah, absolutely. In the context
1: of a marriage. I see it all the time. And by the way, if you're 20, 30, 40 years marriage and you said, "Oh my gosh, we're a lost cause." No, you're not. You will have a story. Wow, you won't believe the story you'll tell.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And just to yeah, just to put a cap on the end of that, I think that it's so important, ladies, to allow for safe spaces for your husbands to be vulnerable and insecure. And, and if you, oh, go ahead. Yeah, and and not try to f- tell them what's wrong. Right. Not how, try, and, how,
0: and how can they do that though? Coming from a man's perspective, how can a woman do that
2: for th- their man? I think being able to slow down enough to ask really good questions the why, like asking why questions, how, to,
0: what, what, what,
2: and how, because why how? can
0: be prosecutorial this is questions? True. Well, why are you feeling that way? Yeah, 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 that's fair. As in what's the reason behind yeah. this mm-hmm. reaction? So,
2: or- I'm trying to think of a good example. So, bro. So there's a situation with Brooke and I We're you know, we get into a fight about, I don't know, I'm, I'm just like on edge for some reason or something like that. And I'm I'm kind of being a little grumpy. I'm being a little, instead of her saying to me, why are you being so grumpy? Or her saying to me, will you stop doing that? She often will say to me, hey, what's going on? I'm just grumpy. Like, is there, you know, what's causing you to, to, to feel that way? Or why do you think that you feel that way? Or what, what about the situation is really causing that issue?
1: And by the way, that's not an invitation for men to beat up on their wives. No. Th- right. Totally. So that's where you got to so, regulate
2: your own. Absolutely. Self. So that's one situation. The other situation, which I think is a little more, that's common. But the other situation where I think it's really important to your point, Natalie, is let's say I have, let's say I do blow up and I have a really big anger episode or something like that. If I choose to be vulnerable And to circle back around and say, hey, Brooke, I, I should not have, you know, lashed out that way about this thing. I'm like, I, will you please forgive me? The, the, the response back to that needs to be, yes, I'll forgive you. What about that situation made you lash out? That's right. What about that caused you to do that? Is there something that I could have done a little differently so that you didn't feel that way? and and what it does it does it doesn't say yeah you're right you didn't do that and you should change all these things it's a seeking to understand it's leaning into it absolutely and it's asking the right questions and creating the safety of just the safety it's just a safety thing i i don't for understanding
1: understanding this is very important but it becomes complex and convoluted if each partner doesn't understand how they love totally so i do want to refer everyone to the segments we recorded with Jane episodes five through eight and actually five, six, seven, eight, because we break down attachment Mm -hmm. and each person in the relationship has to take responsibility for the confusion, chaos, and disease within themselves so they can bring themselves whole into a relationship. And if it's something that you're confused about, please email, contact us directly and we can help facilitate that conversation. And I think we have modules online where we break all this information down. We do, yes. Because I don't, I don't want to get too abstract. Yeah, totally. I also want to say something really important. I have one to say in
0: the meantime. Go. Is okay. that um, for women when it comes to creating that safe space, something that, that I noticed just in myself and my relationships was that that willingness even to create that safe space comes from a respect For the man. And that is something that, yeah. And that is something that, that men desire. And we've talked about this before all the time, all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So if, if you're having a problem with even just giving him that safe space, check maybe where the respect is, you Mm -hmm. know? And if you don't respect your husband, it's because you're deeply
1: conflicted within yourself, within yourself. James, why is it arguing and quarreling among us? Isn't it because we're conflicted within ourselves. Mm -hmm. And there again, The whole message of rest is we give you a lot of tools and resources to reconcile the conflicts we individually have within ourselves. And
2: and on the flip side of that, from a respect standpoint, if you're a man and you're like, my wife doesn't respect me, I, you know, you don't, respect is not something that is demanded from someone else. Correct. It just just can't happen. You know what builds respect? Vulnerability. And trust. And trust. Like, that's what it does. You know how long it takes to build that? Time.
0: Yeah. A lot of time.
2: It takes lots of time. You can't apologize Mm -hmm. once and then expect your wife to respect you and do everything. Especially you when you
1: keep doing the thing that wounded her soul and caused her not to trust you. Yeah. 100%. It's hard to give trust without respect.
2: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: 100%. And also women can acquire an admiration for all of the things that the men in their lives are doing for them, mm-hmm. you know, cause sometimes it's easy to kind of skip over all those things and focus on the negative, right? Our brains naturally do that, but focus on, you know, admiring the things that they're doing already in your lives too.
2: Absolutely. That's good stuff, Natalie. Virginia, thank you so much for having me.
1: So good. I just want to say something that came out of the segment we recorded all morning for the Nightbird Foundation and Rest. That breast cancer is, we, we know a lot about the emotional constitution of cancer because of the work of brilliant, brilliant, integritist practitioners, physicians, patients, over the last and the study of cancer over the last 80 years or so. And breast cancer specifically is unrest in the nest. That means that there's confusion, chaos, and dis-ease within the roles. Jane talks very candidly about her emotional pilgrimage of cancer. And because you're getting ready to launch the foundation in collaboration with REST and what we're doing through our foundation, I just want to Talk about what your intentions are in doing that. And that's why I think your voice and what it is to be a man and our commentary on that we did last month on what it is to be a woman and the implications that that has in a family system is very important to the conversation of breast cancer because we know that breast cancer, the emotional constitution of breast cancer is unrest in the nest and it's like a roadmap. Depending on where the cancer is, it tells us a lot about what's happening in that family or in the life of that individual. Elaine, by the way, beautifully illustrated that, as did Jane. I was so excited when I met your sister, and I was so absolutely elated when I was hearing Elaine talk about her pilgrimage through cancer, because you heard me say, oh, I know exactly what to do. I know exactly where the splinters are. In closing, talk about what your hopes and your dreams are for the foundation in collaboration with rest.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the Nightbird Foundation exists to bring hope and healing uh, to young women with breast cancer, you know, very much like my sister. And we, we've we realized and we all sort of know, I mean, I don't know if all of us know, but we, uh, Jane, you know, survived as long as she did on the generosity of lots and lots of people all over the world, you know, that decided that they wanted to give their time, talent and treasure to help someone live. And so we've set up a, a 501c3, um, the Nightbird Foundation, that's, that's, that seeks to do that same thing. Um, but one of the things that I, I want to make sure I call out is that Jane's journey just wasn't just this physiological healing journey of saying, okay, I'm sick, so now I need to be not sick. Yeah, fighting the cancer. And fighting the cancer. No, she, she wanted to be totally whole. And part of that was reconstituting the mind and the heart and the will and all of the things that rest stands for. So then we... I'm excited to collaborate with uh, REST to make sure that we can help uh, these ladies get the healing and the wholeness that they truly need, not just be cancer-free.
1: In honor of Jane, thank you for that, Michelle. You, you say it so beautifully. But in honor of Jane, I want to say that while we were filming, the strangest thing happened, and it's been happening to me every time I'm dealing with something around her memorial or around the story, around specifically Jane, and that is the hummingbird that just hovered and hovered and hovered over that window right behind you while we were recording. It's the same hummingbird that hovered in front of me and Riley when we were preparing the flowers, the rock garden, and everything to honor her life and her memory and her contribution to rest and the work we were able to do together for the sake of those that we will continue to serve. Yeah. In October, Natalie, we're going to try to launch a webinar or a Zoom meeting or something of the kind for the listening audience of both of our communities to bring message of hope around what it is to be a woman, what it is to be a man, and the role and the importance of those roles in putting an end to the role and the function of breast cancer in our generation.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep. So stay in tune for that. (laughs) Thank you all so much. Thank thank you. you. All right, everyone, if you haven't yet seen Jane's America's Got Talent audition, look up Golden Buzzer Nightbird on YouTube to hear Jane's perspective and application of the love styles by Mylon and Kay Yurkovich in the context of rest. Go listen to podcast episodes five through eight in our How We Love series to stay up to date with Nightbird's unreleased material and the Nightbird Foundation. Follow Nightbird on Instagram at underscore N-I-G-H-T-B-I-R-D-E.